Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 238th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And uh, tonight's show is special. We're starting off uh, with a preemptive, preemptive bag over the head. This has nothing to do with the game that we just played. This is about making sure we have some idea of what's to come. It is going to most likely be a very difficult week for Seahawks fans. And so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to start by uh, making sure uh, people know what's ahead. And with that, let me bring on the man who wants his identity inextricably linked to this Seahawks team. Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Jeff, how you doing, dude? I'm all right, man. I'm trying. I'm trying not to think about the game tomorrow, but everything else, I'm pretty good. I love it. I love it. I'm I'm in similar place. Uh, in in violent approval with my appearance as usual. Usually jealous of it as well. Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 has joined the show. Nathan. Like, how you doing, man? You you feeling excited about this big game tomorrow? Uh, yeah, super excited. It's going to be awesome. Uh, you're looking great, as always. I love it. Thank you. 
Yeah. The uh, the green screen with the eyes isn't creepy at all, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I figure I figured that was just an extra bonus. Like the eye has like stuff going through it. <laughs> this might be my best my best look. Like the question of the day to start with is 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 this an uglier look or is the Seahawks playing defense an uglier look? Uh, CX playing defense. Uh, it doesn't get a lot, a lot uglier than that. I think. <laughs> uh, so it's actually quite uncomfortable under here. It's a little bit warmer than you think. So I'm gonna, I'm going to, unfortunately for the rest of the world, show my true face, which is always a downgrade. Um, fellas, welcome. Good to see you both, and good to see everyone that's joining the show. If you haven't already, give the show a like, please do. Uh, we're going to go to patron questions pretty early today. So Nathan, if you want to look those up, it'd be great to, uh, we'll, we'll probably start the show pretty quickly with those, but <clears throat> Jeff, I have loved, loved Seahawks 49ers games for years. And it's not be just because the Seahawks have beat them a lot, but because it always felt like a grudge match. It felt like there was something on the line. It felt like there was something that you could win in a game, even if even if the odds were against you. Um, I'm having trouble getting the same feeling for this game. I feel a little bit like even if the Seahawks win, there's not much that they gain from it other than bagging rights. Uh, that would be bragging rights for folks. <laughs> yeah. Is that, that a reference to your bag? Yes, bagging rights would have been a, a good pun. What's your, like what's what's your level of you know engagement with this game thursday night prime time game against what should be our biggest rival yeah i'm really in the same camp as you like if san francisco loses to this seahawks team with this defense and based on just how this matchup to me it'd be pretty embarrassing from san francisco's perspective i don't feel like amped up or the same kind of intensity like, yeah, it is our biggest rival, but just the way this matchup looks, it just looks so one-sided. It's hard for me to get excited. So I think, if anything, if San Francisco loses to this, this Seahawks defense game they've paid for, and they're in a Super Bowl win, like, they're a fully matured roster. Seattle's just getting started, especially on defense. They're, they're pretty bare bones right now. I think it would be really embarrassing for San Francisco. I don't feel like if Seattle wins, like, it would be exciting. We get to have fun with some Evan stuff and whatever, but – I don't think my evaluations of the team would change. I think they either played a good game or they had a good short week or they got lucky, but I'm not like super amped up. And like, if we win, like my whole season goes back to where I was feeling in October. Like I've made my evaluations. I think the body of work is pretty long. Like I think it's pretty clear at this point. So I think I just, I'm hoping they don't get embarrassed to be honest. And like, I'm dreading this game just because of how one side of this matchup looks. So really it's just, if San Francisco, if you lose, this is a complete embarrassment. Nathan, I need your advice on something. And I, I, I listen carefully to your advice. I think you're wise despite your hatred for certain things that I cherish, like mm. uh, like the running like the running game. Um, I'm going to this game. Mm-hmm. It is go- likely going to have significant numbers of 49ers fans there. The Seahawks are likely going to lose and potentially lose by a lot. Yeah. Please, please come home safe. <laughs> how, yeah, how, 
what is what is my what is my mindset what's my winning mindset going into tomorrow night how do i come home tomorrow night not injured emotionally uh for what might happen in that game you know i think the fact that you're asking the question at all means you got no shot uh, <laughs> if you're if you're already trying to uh <clears throat> guard yourself against it uh it sounds like you're you're uh your heart's open on it and it, yeah, it's, it's going to hurt. And so just, I think that's the thing to prepare yourself for that. It will hurt. It it's probably shouldn't hurt. It's probably it, it, not a lot of hope for this game, but uh, yeah, just be ready to, uh, you know, handle your emotions like an adult. No, that sounds like, that's like asking me to turn water into wine. I, I don't know about that, but, but I, Look, I was at the Panthers game and I actually enjoyed myself. Like there are people <laughs> driving going crazy. I it wasn't super invested in that game. I, I felt like like to Jeff's point, I've kind of come to believe what the Seahawks are. And Jeff and I both picked them to lose that game, not happily, but like the things that we were worried about all ended up being pretty accurate. And the difference with this game is it's the 49ers. Mm-hmm. And I my wish list for the rest of the year probably in order is Broncos losing as many games as possible the 49ers not winning a Super Bowl and the Seahawks winning as many games as they can I'd love them to get in the playoffs that would be fun uh but 49ers look like a team that could could make some hay <laughs> and I would as long as they don't win the Super Bowl, I'm okay. But if they win a ring after the Rams won last year, it will be rough. So I, I that that's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, all right, let's get into to patron questions early. We'll, we'll see where we go there and, and see where we go from there. Uh, what do you got for us, Nathan? Um, <clears throat> well, let's see here. Uh, Alexander wants to know. Does Jacob Eason have a chance to take revenge? Jeff, how are you going to feel? Uh, like, <laughs> I'm sure you're emotionally prepared for a loss, but are you emotionally prepared to potentially lose to Jacob Eason? <laughs> that would be that would be extreme. I haven't prepared for that. But honestly, I think if this, they played Eason and handed the ball off every snap and didn't throw once, I think they'd be pretty likely to win. So... I don't know, like I think Easton can play and beat Seattle right now. Just this matchup is so slanted be- towards San Francisco, not because of the talent, just because of what they do well and what we do poorly. It's such a bad matchup. Man, losing Jacob Easton though, like that would be on San Francisco. That would be pretty low. Is is did I miss something? Where is that just a joke of assuming that Josh Johnson also gets hurt, or is did they announce that Easton's next in line after? That after? I don't know. But no, I, I, think Eason, really... I think if Johnson, if Purdy can't play, Eason is the only other quarterback on their team other than Josh Johnson. I had heard Josh Johnson was next in line. Yeah, so Josh Purdy Johnson was... would play if Purdy couldn't. And then Josh Johnson would have to get hurt for Eason to come in. That would be fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, that would be, that would be, see, this is paper bag worthy already. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. Um, Okay, Eric wants to know, Brian, 
Uh, despite Gino's impressive play, if we keep the number two pick and Bryce Young is available, should Seattle grab him or take a defensive player? This is a question that we've been asking weekly all year long since Gino kind of broke out. Uh, let's take your temperature on it. H- have you shifted at all on on Gino versus a draft pick, uh, a drafted quarterback? No, I think I've been going the opposite way of, of some folks on this. Uh, I wrote about my morning after column on Monday. I am all the more convinced that the Seahawks need to prioritize the defensive line, specifically the interior defensive line, and that it would be a mistake at this point. Even if it's a good quarterback at the top, even if it's a very good, the chances that that quarterback is going to play at a level that's higher than Geno Smith and that you're going to then also not sign Geno Smith uh, so you're going to be a situation where you draft a rookie, which Nathan's brought up before, where you get like the double penalty of you're paying for a veteran and you draft a rookie. And so you don't get the benefit of the rookie contract. And we don't have the rest of the roster to pay top dollar to right now, which is the other benefit of a rookie contract is that you have, you can pay other positions. So this team desperately needs to fill out talent beyond the quarterback position and if they end up drafting a quarterback i would be fine with them drafting a quarterback that they groom in like the third fourth fifth round whatever um this year i'd be fine with them potentially uh looking again next year i'm okay with that but do not draft a quarterback first pick this year i think that would really i think people would be surprised that it would potentially put this roster back a couple of years at least from getting into a contending window all right i'm gonna <clears throat> call it audible here i'm not sure if shree in the chat is a, a patreon or not but he uh asked here in the the youtube chat uh <laughs> did you guys talk about mike salk show with sherman jeff you you mentioned this in the the group chat i i have no concept of what happened here i'm i'm in the dark so enlighten me what what was this interview about so the K- kj right every so often he has a show on brock and salk he'll bring in one of his former LOB guys. And Salk had mentioned in the past, a lot of it was because of his view of Russell at the time. And Salk was a big proponent of Russell. And when Doug and Sherman were kind of going the other way, Salk was very critical of them. So Salk had comments about Sherman. And I don't know what he said, but when Sherman got released, Salk was very critical of his last couple of years and how he violated the rules. So they had Sherman on today. And KJ asks him a question. He answers it normally. Brock Heward asks him a question. He answers it normally. Mike asks him a question. And out of nowhere, he said, I'm not talking to you. You're banned from this interview. I have no nothing to say to you. And Salk did not take it well. He tried to, like, fire back. He's like, well, let's talk about it. He's like, I'm not talking to you. Like, I'm only coming on here for KJ. And, like, it just went dead silent. And KJ is, like, trying to clear the awkwardness. And like they, they talk a little bit, it goes quiet again. And Brock Heward like tries to out of nowhere, like it's like, you know, like you and KJ have a brotherhood, me and Salk have a brotherhood, like he's a good guy. And Sherman's like, no, he's not. Like, I'm not talking to you. Salk <laughs> got like super cold, cut him off, like, okay, thanks for coming on, Richard. Bye. And then him and KJ were like, Well, that was weird. And like, it was weird. Like, I don't know why Sherman went on. He was like, I love the petty side of him. I love, that's what makes Richard Sherman. But like, 
I don't know why he went on, but it, it was weird. Like Evan texted me today, like, did you see Sherman's interview? And I listened to the whole thing. Like it was bizarre. That's that's amazing to go on Salk's show and <laughs> say, no, you're not part of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've like, never heard of that happening no. before, and I kind of love it. Sherman's a legend. Uh, okay, back to the uh, the Patreon questions. Um, uh, Brian, can you tackle a ball carrier, and are you willing to suit up tomorrow? <laughs> if so. I think that's a better question for you, Mr. Ernst. I mean, you've got the size over me for sure. Uh, There's no, I don't have a chance of catching an NFL player. So I was a decent athlete in high school. Decent. Like played a few sports, not a great athlete, not great at any of them. But I was like handle myself on a field or a, a play. And I had a colleague um, when I was out of – college and, and and working in my early 20s who had played college football as a running back really good dude really smart guy he was a, an engineer i worked with and we played like flag football one day and he came along i it was such an eye-opener to see like the way he moved versus the way i moved on my best day like i can't describe it was like i was in slow motion and he was he was on triple speed like i don't think people realize not only the speed that they move these athletes but also the level of agility and the change of direction that was the thing that was like my hips were not going to keep up with the way he was moving so that is a way of both telling you how inappropriate it is for you to ask me uh to tackle anybody um but also like it's a hard job and they need to be the best in the world and we do not have the best in the world so i appreciate the thought but but i'm not your man uh the search continues i suppose um jeff <laughs> Rondi wants to know aside from the obvious free agent uh gino there are some other notable ones from uh seattle this offseason uh penny Blythe, haynes goodwin homer puna bruce barton um is there anyone on that list that you are hoping seattle comes back that you were going to be upset maybe or you, you would like them to bring back and pay a little money to no one I'd be upset if they're playing this scheme defensively. Uh, there's no way you can sign Puna Ford. The scheme is taken away from his best skills and he's become almost a bit player and he just gets eaten up by blocks in the scheme. They were playing before, which was more penetrating. He was, he was, he's their highest paid player on the team this year, believe it or not. And in that previous scheme, he was a really valuable player. They, they, they gave him an extension, but other than that, like I, I shouted out Marquise Goodwin on our last show last week, and he did all, He was one of the few guys that had a, a pretty awesome game last week. So I don't know if they're going to draft another receiver. I would like them to, but he's a guy I'd like them to bring bring back. Uh, we've been talking for years about centers, and I've been hoping they upgrade the center position. But Austin Blythe is like a fine placeholder. His place really tailed off, just like a lot of the other Seahawks centers we've seen the last couple of years. So I'd like them to try to upgrade there, and I don't want to spend time getting excited about centers. Kind of ranted about that last year. I'm not doing that again. But like Penny, you can probably get on the cheap. I don't know if you've seen like the free agent running back class this year. It's like half the league starters. It's actually like 
it's crazy. If you actually go through it, like there's probably like 10 to 12. So like, I don't think Penny's going to cost very much. It's there's a lot of free agents. It's, it's pretty bizarre, but most of those guys are bit guys and guys you're hoping to upgrade. And so for the most part, I, I might say a quick answer is no. Yeah. A uh, good one was the one that stuck out to me too, but you know, I don't want to like, uh, you know, have him just step into like the uh, third receiver role next year. He's he's been nice, but I think that you probably want to limit how much you have to rely on him. Um, <clears throat> uh, and Jen Mozzarella wants to know if I'm wearing a shirt tonight. And yes, I am wearing a shirt. <laughs> and that's it for the Patreon questions. Although it is it is a little hard to know. You, you look like you might just be a floating head tonight. A little. Bit. I, I blend in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little camo going on. on there. Uh, the other day I was going to actually, uh, start the show without a shirt on, but guys, you won't have to ask if, if I'm not wearing a shirt, you will know. Oh my gosh. I will. I may put the bag on if that happens just to (laughs) obscure my view. You know, Nathan, um, there's a lot of folks that are kind of on this. Well, two, two things. I'll pick one of them and I'll, uh, you guys can pick which one, but let's start with the Bobby thing. There's a lot of folks that are of the mind that the Seahawks would be much better against the run and much better in general if they had Bobby still on the team. Now, one, I I think that that's not taking into account his contract and what that means for the future and whether that's where he want to be dedicating those dollars. But I'm curious, like, do you feel like the Seahawks would be a good run defense just by swapping out like, Cody Barton for Bobby Wagner? No, no. I mean, I don't. Um, I think Bobby's pretty, pretty overrated. Um, had a nice game against the Seahawks, but I think on the whole, he's been pretty steadily declining. And um, wh- you know, I, we could talk about whether he'd be an upgrade over Cody, Cody Barton or not. But is he going to solve or fix the defense? No, I don't think so at all. Jeff, what about you? I think they'd be slightly better at run defense because. A lot of the issues, like Brooks made a few big mistakes the last few weeks, and Barton's Barton's have still like, can't get off blocks. And I think they'd be slightly better, but I I agree with Nathan. I, I think Bobby's like people will f- point to that PFF grade, and the way they're using Bobby is very specific. He's being used a lot as a blitzer, and a lot of the issues in run defense are stuff with the front and the stuff with the scheme where there's just giant holes and the corners aren't tackling. It's a lot of the front, like Bobby would help clean things up. But I, I, I think most of the issues are things that would be out of Bobby's control. And then you'd be paying Bobby $12 billion to get tackles behind the line of scrimmage again, and sort of like last year. And they were a good run defense last year, which is the strangest part of this whole season. But I think having him in for Barton, yeah, they would be better. But I don't think it would be noticeable because of the issues up front. Yeah, that that's my biggest piece is I think there's a – misunderstanding makes it sound patronizing but that like i understand the defense differently than that i don't think an inside linebacker is the difference between this defense being good at defending the run and not i think what we are seeing is widespread breakdowns starting with the defensive line including going to the edges where we're seeing like gap integrity problems where we're seeing scheme issues um and even when bobby was on the team and in his prime there were times where you'd hear the teams talk about that like he was getting too many linemen 
to deal with. He was getting too many offensive linemen to deal with as opposed to having gaps he could shoot or having, you know, backs that he could attack. And he was less effective in those situations. I think any linebacker is going to be less effective when you've got a defensive line that's not doing their job and letting a bunch of guys get to the second level on the offensive line. Um, and that's what we're seeing. So I think Bobby would be a massive upgrade over Cody Barton. I think the defense would certainly be better. I do not think that Bobby, I don't spend a lot of time like rethinking the Bobby move. I really hate how it happened. And I think it Sherman and Bobby are absolutely right to be feel disrespected that, you know, they weren't communicated to properly when this stuff went down. But outside of that, I don't, I wouldn't want the money going to an older middle linebacker. My issue was that they went to Cody Barton next and they did not add any other talent to the inside linebacker spot. That's my issue. Not, not the Bobby thing. All right. The other thing I'm curious about, um, I hear this from a lot of folks is like, Hey, we even joked about it in our chat at some point, like, ah, the most Seahawks thing would be if they, you know, you know, lose to the Panthers and then they beat the 49ers and the chiefs. Do you guys see this? Like, do you see a, like, do you see a, a plot line here where the Seahawks rise up and like they're powered by the, the twelves at Lumen field and, you know, they smack down the 49ers. I mean, we're not getting into predictions yet, but I'm just kind of curious. Is that in your mind? Like, is that a realistic thing that's in your, either of your, your perspectives? Maybe Jeff, I'll start with you on that one. No, I wish I could think like that. And I wish I was excited, but no, I, I just think the matchup with San Francisco based on what we've seen as Seattle's run defense issues, how good San Francisco is historically at running the ball. And with San Francisco's defense being maybe the best like single unit in the whole league, I just can't see that. Like KC, the way Seattle can win right now, I actually think they could that kind of matchup could actually work in their favor because their passing game is pretty good. But I still think KC will ultimately win. It's hard to win at Arrowhead and Geno's play has tailed off a little bit. But like, no, I don't see this as like the weird Pete Carroll things. This team isn't that team that we always used to like joke about where they, Evan was texting us last week where they're playing down the competition. Like Carolina's not a bad team. Like if you watch them play, they have a lot of good players and they were playing down to a worse team. Like in Oakland, they got beat by Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. And those are good players. And right now Seattle doesn't have that many good players on defense and outside of the rookie class and some of their wide receivers and quarterback they're not that good of a team. They're an average team. And I don't think this is like the classic, oh, here we go, typical Seahawks. I think this is just part of their reality of having an uneven roster. What about you, Nathan? Like what's what's your uh what where's your mind wander on that that question? I mean, they it's certainly possible. Uh, you know, <clears throat> they could be down to their fourth string quarterback. They they won't have Debo. Um so, you know, yeah, is it possible? Like, I think in that scenario, it's still probably very ugly win because that defense is still uh, very good. But can they beat Josh Johnson? Like, yeah, I think they can beat Josh Johnson. Um, <clears throat> and we've seen weird swings from this defense. Um, so, like, if they come out and suddenly look competent, I'm not going to be shocked because we've seen them look 
awful. We've seen them look good. Uh, maybe competent would be surprising because we haven't seen a lot of the in-between. But um, so, yeah, is there a chance? Is it possible? Like, I, I think absolutely when you talk about, you know, getting down that far on the quarterback depth chart and losing some of your best players. But uh, I'm not getting my hopes up for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and like, so let me flip it around for a second and and put my most optimistic hat on and talk about some of the good things. Uh, it's looking like Al Woods might be able to play, which I really didn't expect. Um, Kenneth Walker almost certainly looks like he's going to be able to play, which is good news. Um, the 49ers, everyone's focused on the quarterback position for good reason. They did lose Debo Samuel uh, in this last game. He's obviously a massive part of their offense. Uh, they lost Kevin Givens for this game, who's their starting defensive tackle, big part of their run defense, and they don't have like a logical next inner, you know, defensive tackle guy. They're pretty thin at corner. They lost another corner this past week, at least for this game. Um, they're already down Emmanuel Mosley and uh, Jason Verrett didn't make it back. Um, so like, uh, that's an issue for them. Um, there's a couple other pieces in there that I'd probably call out, but even with all that, um, you look at this and Vegas last time I checked had the 49ers is like just three and a half point favorites, which is interesting. Like if I was setting the line on this game, I would set it at 10 minus 10 for 40, the 49ers. Like, I, I think that's a, if this 49ers were, it was 49ers minus 10, I would probably, and I had to bet my my house on it, I would probably put it on the 49ers if that was the line. Um, so I think it's interesting that it's three and a half. There's usually some unseen things there. And I am curious, like maybe, maybe, maybe the Seahawks decide like, hey, we're done with we're done. The defense is not working. We're, we're making the change. We're going to the four, three over like we did in the Rams game. Uh, except we're just going to make it now. We're going to switch to it. They're not going to know it. 49ers haven't seen any film on it. Like they're going to have to adjust to it. Maybe there's a player's meeting that happens because they're so humiliated and this is a division game and maybe all those things happen. And Gino is so clearly the better quarterback in this game. Seahawks receivers stand up and maybe something crazy happens. Like, I, I think that, I think those things are possible. The least likely of all that for me, or like the one that's hardest to believe is that the run defense is just going to all of a sudden be able to be competent um, against one of the best run teams in the NFL. That's just hard for me. And if, and if that, if that one thing doesn't happen, I don't know how the Seahawks win this game. If the, if the 49ers get 200 yards rushing, I don't know how the Seahawks win this game. Is that like, is, of all those things, is there anything that stands out to you guys is like possible? No, I mean, I think that's, that's what it is, right? Like you, you can't give up 200 yards rushing. You are going to lose a lot of games giving up 200 yards rushing. Um, so like, do they fix that? Because if they don't, then Josh Johnson and no Debo and a lot of that stuff just isn't going to matter. Um, <clears throat> Seattle could still win and they could still get into a weird situation when they get into a shootout or something. But like, that's hard to think that they'll, you know, be on the good end of that against that Niner defense. So, 
I think I don't know. That's 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 the the whole storyline for the rest of the season to me is like how bad does this defense stay for the these last four games? Yeah. Yeah. It's when you guys look at this 49ers team, what do you think? Where do you think they stack up relative to the rest of the NFL? Jeff, how about you? I think they have the best roster in the NFL outside of the quarterback position. They're, what I said before, they're a fully mature roster. We talk about like rebuilds and trying to like, they're what you're wanting your roster to look like. They're just like oozing with talent and it's on both sides of the ball. Their defense, like they've just been like, them and Philly, like it all sets up sort of for that in the NFC Championship. So I think them and Philly are the two top teams in the NFC and the AFC. There's Buffalo, KC, and now Cincinnati. I think they're in that top five Super Bowl like circle group. And then it's just can they can if you may if they have to pass the ball and they get into third and long, like to me that's where you that's where you're going to learn a lot about this team because if they can just run the ball with their defense, they they've just been crushing. Like they crush Tampa Bay. They, cr- they crushed someone the week before and it was just, it was ugly. Like they're up they're like their roster is as good as you can have it right now in the league, but they have a third string quarterback who looked pretty good last week. And that's really the big question with this team. <laughs> I think the expectations are so low for Brock Purdy that like uh, there's all these crazy things coming out about how he's playing. <laughs> like, he's done fine like he hasn't done anything great but like the fact that he hasn't tripped over his own shoelaces and thrown the ball repeatedly the other team has got everybody in san francisco pretty excited um (laughs) uh nathan switching gears for a second like there's been so many different rivalry games with 49ers and obviously the nfc championship where the seahawks beat them in seattle was you know probably the quintessential you know, the, the peak of the peak. Are, is there like a favorite game or a favorite memory you have from this rivalry over the Pete Carroll era outside of the NFC championship game? Um, the Vernon Davis hit. Um, yeah. Eating turkey on the uh, Niners logo. Eating turkey on the Niners logo. <clears throat> that will, that is, that rivals like <laughs> even any Super Bowl moment for me. Um, that might be the peak uh like pete carroll era moment for me so yeah that that one i don't remember a thing about that game uh but i just remember russ and sherm uh going to town on some turkey legs in the middle of the niners field you know what jeff like i think not everybody remembers because not everybody was engaged at the same level with seahawks you know before it all blew up but as the seahawks were starting to build and we hated the 49ers the 49ers were really had justin smith they had Patrick will like they were really good even before the Seahawks started to be really good and their fans were like what do you mean rivalry like they didn't think about the Seahawks like that they didn't they didn't like even it was like the kind of the way we think about the Cardinals I think like you guys hate us like you're why you why do you care like you guys are irrelevant and that game in 2012 when the Seahawks have been playing really well and the 49ers came in, the 49ers were really hot then. People don't remember, but they were playing great football. And the Seahawks blew the doors off of them that night. I will never forget that night. That was a coronation. And from that point forward, 
up until even to what Nathan's talking about, that was the amazing journey to go on to have 49ers not even considering us as like, <laughs> you're okay there, Jeff. Not even like paying attention to like just the utter humiliation on their home field of having Turkey get eaten. I mean, it was, it was definitely more delicious than Turkey. Um, <laughs> what, wait, 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 which game was it? A, it was a Seahawks game too that uh, Jed York put the, I'm sorry up on the, yeah. uh, the big screen. That was the same too, game. Right? I think it was the, it was no, the no, I think that was a couple of later. I think that was like the end of the Jim Harbaugh era. Mm-hmm. Jed York the... apologized. The owner apologized to an entire stadium for losing to the Seahawks. <sighs> What about the guy that like farted in his press conferences as a coach? Tom Sula. Tom Jim Tom Sula. Like, wasn't he the coach of one of those? Yeah, he followed yeah. he followed Harbaugh. That was a disaster. Oh my god. I mean, yeah. It, I have a lot of really fond memories. Uh I mean it would have been so sweet, Jeff, if the Seahawks could have won that game in like what was it, 2019 or whatever oh, it was. Oh god, yeah. I like the 49ers fans have the gall to actually think about that as like this like peak game because they like won the division holding the Seahawks to the one yard line. The Seahawks team was like starting like Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin yeah. at running back. Like they had nobody. But like eight years after, you would think about the Seahawks starting Marshawn Lynch and Robert Turbin, Turbin in a game. Yeah. <laughs> like the week before, they lost like seven starters and we yeah. thought they were going to lose by 30 points. And <laughs> yeah there's a, yeah and earlier that year like they were undefeated and we beat them in san francisco that was the Jadavian Clowney game where like he had the best game of his career and like that that i remember we were going crazy that was fun that game like i think that like that, that was a that great was, game yeah and like our team was so much less talented than them and the one you showed at the 2012 one was <laughs> Okay, okay, so I have, the, I have a, a this, is, this is an audio show as well, Nathan. So you, it's you a visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a hot take. I hated because it's funny that you mentioned the Cardinals and how we don't think about them. I hated the Bruce Arian Cardinals more <laughs> than I hated any of the Niners teams. The rivalry what? was bigger. <laughs> the, the Niner rivalry was a bigger deal for sure. Like they were that, but like the Bruce Arians talking about how there's a new sheriff in town and uh, fucking Derek Anderson, like dancing up and down the sidelines when they, when they beat Seattle that one time, that was a much more hateable team to me. Cause probably because like one, I don't have the relationship with minor fans that like you and Evan do. I, uh, I steer clear a little bit. Uh, but also too, like I just didn't have nearly the respect for those teams as I did for the Niners team. So I think it just hurt a little bit more when they would win and they were just annoying as hell about it. I don't, I don't feel this way about the Rams or the Cardinals, like the Rams. I don't feel like they have any fans like real fans. I think the ones that they do are kind of like questionable and, I had more like a little bit more when they like in the early 2000s when it was, you know, they were the king of the block and, and whatnot. They've beaten us a ton um, and I haven't really felt it. Uh, the Cardinals, I I heard like the Bruce, you were not alone. A lot of people really hated Bruce Arians and really like that was a big deal. We're talking about Mike Salk earlier. Mike Salk hated Bruce Arians. Like he pushed people's buttons. I, I, 
I just didn't care. I thought he was irrelevant. Like he just never bothered me that much. But I think part of it was Jim Harbaugh, but also part of it is if you don't go to a lot of games, fans from different fan bases, like there's a huge, huge difference. And like Cardinals fans are like harmless, even in their own home stadium. When you go there, they're harmless. Uh, Rams fans, similarly, like eh. 49ers fans are legitimately like often stupid, uh, inflammatory, dangerous, uh, like aggressive, uh, like they're like up there with Cowboys fans. It's like Cowboys fans and 49ers fans that are just, you, you have them in your stadium and, or, or you just don't want to be there. Like you don't want to be around them. They're, they're not my favorite um, fan base. So I think that factors in as well. Um, but it doesn't mean I don't respect the hell out of the talent that they've got. I mean, even one of the things that was so great. I mean, we talk about how great it was to beat them 42 13 in that, in that game, right? It was 42 13. I think that was the score, whatever it was um, back in 2012. Wasn't just that they blew them out. That was a fantastic, that 49ers team would win the Super Bowl this year or a hundred percent win the NFC and the Seahawks smacked them. Like, I don't think like, you can really articulate. It's like if you were to go in and do that to the Chiefs right now, like it's it was impressive. So like, this is a good 49ers team. I like it when there's good 49ers teams. I just wish the Seahawks not only had a better team to go up against with them, but that it meant more. And if they win this game against the 49ers, it improves their playoff odds, biggest thing. But they're not going to win the division. Like that's out the door. So. Uh, bragging rights feels weak this year because the 49ers are certainly going to outperform the Seahawks the rest of the way. Um, what else? What have we, what have we missed here? Uh, did we, <laughs> someone brought up Mike Leach. Anyone have any, uh, kind words that you want to offer about Mike Leach? Uh, I will say that I saw something on Twitter a few nights ago about that. Mike Leach had not died. That it was misreported. I was like, what are you talking about? I thought it was like, whatever and then i woke up the next morning or whatever and mike leach was in the paper and passed away i was like what the hell happened i so that that was a he's always been quite the character and i i didn't follow him that closely but i don't know if you guys had anything you wanted to say about mike leach i mean leach was we'll say he was complicated uh <laughs> i i disagreed with him on many things but i was talking yeah. to everybody about this yesterday uh and like i think you know i mean he made such a huge impact on college football and like he is maybe as like college football personified as anyone in that he's a little weird and uh anything can happen it can be really good it can be really bad um he spent time in like lubbock and pullman and you know these college towns where like uh, there's nothing there except the university and it's a three hour drive from the nearest airport. Uh, and yeah, I mean, had a huge impact. So his legacy is, uh, complicated, uh, as a person, as a whole, but, um, as a, like you said, as a character, as like, uh, and, and uh, you know, his influence on the game and, and the attention that he brought and, and, you know, some of the fun that he could bring, 
you know, in terms of football was great. It was a great interview. No doubt about that. Yeah. Um, all right. Any other topics for you guys before we get into, uh, you know, predicting this game, breaking it down a little bit more? We're not going to get into whether we should, uh, whether Seattle should fire Pete Carroll. Uh, if you want to talk about that, I, I'm, I'm always open to your your whims. We we can save it. We can save it. I just I, I I wonder how long you know they can go giving up 200 yards uh, a game rushing, uh, and Pete's seat does not become a little warm, even with everything that you know how they've they've outperformed so many people's expectations. Uh, if this is what this team looks like, you know I think you have to be talking about defensive staff changes and. I don't know how many defensive staffs. Uh, <laughs> shout out, Jeff. Uh, uh, I don't know how many defensive staffs Pete Carroll gets to rip through. So it, it, it's something to we can save it. We can put it in our back pocket and talk about it in a couple of weeks. I will say, like, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't even think it's going to be considered. But in a traditional sense, and the Seahawks are not a traditional sense because of the Russell Wilson trade, because of their draft capital. Like their play over the last month from the six and three start is the kind of play that gets the coach fired. Like when you tail off to this magnitude and you can't do the basics of football and you're a defensive coach, like in a traditional sense, that kind of play over a long period of time does get a coach fired. So I don't think it's a crazy talking point. I don't think it's a crazy thought at all. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be considered, but if they had a more traditional situation, but like I think with the Seahawks so much of their plan and what they sold to Jody and, is it going to be about this next draft? And I think like, I, I probably sound like a negative guy in this whole show. Like I'm very excited about the future of this team. Like this draft is so important. They're set up so well. And like, you can argue this is the most important off season that John Schneider is going to have in a long time. And I don't think they're going to make a coaching change for that. This is critical to their future with the quarterback decision with the draft. They haven't had a pick this high. So like, I am like very optimistic about this team's future assuming they don't blow this draft because it's like you make the case. This is Schneider's biggest off season. Yeah. I, I love that, Jeff. I think you, you guys are nuts about the coach thing. Not because I think that Pete's perfect at all and doesn't deserve criticism. I don't think there, I don't think there's even a 1% chance of any coaching change anytime soon. Like they could lose all the rest of the games by 50 points this year and there'll be no coaching change. Not not at Pete's level, at least. Um, I just uh, talk about it, but I don't see any chance of that happening. Um, I but do think do, that if they do lose, yeah. or go ahead, yeah, I'll let you finish your thought. No, no, no go ahead, go ahead. I, I was gonna say, I mean, obviously they're not gonna lose every game the rest of the way by fifty points, but like I don't know, it's obvious, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony said the fifty point part. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's. Right now, you know, <laughs> they are trending. There's a lot, there's four games left, so this could change. But like, if they finish the second half of the season averaging giving up 200 over 200 yards rushing a game, I, I, I think you're right. I think the chances that anything does happen to Pete is extremely low. But like, man, is that and with you know the history here now, this kind of being a thing with them having just some awful, awful defensive stretches, I don't know. I, I think you have to consider it right i mean well i mean look at look at this here i mean we're not predicting the rest of the season but i will tell you if the seahawks of the last four weeks are the seahawks of the next four weeks 
they will lose every game. They will lose to the 49ers. They will lose to the Chiefs. They will absolutely lose to the Jets. If people haven't watched the Jets, you're crazy if you think the Seahawks match up well against the Jets. And they will lose to the Rams at home if Aaron Donald, especially if Aaron Donald plays. And depending on how Baker Mayfield looks over time, they barely beat the John Wolford Rams without Aaron Donald. Um, so I, that's what I'm like, unless the Seahawks change their trajectory, I'm expecting that this team will likely be seven and 10. Like, I think that's a very likely outcome. I don't think it's going to make a bit of difference about whether Pete Carroll stays or goes. That decision's already been made. I don't think if, if they had totally blown this whole season, that's one thing. I think there's been so much good that's come out of this year that even if they finish seven and 10, I'm with Jeff. I'm very bullish on where this team's going and what, I mean, to get what we've got from Geno Smith and to get a top five pick from the Broncos that might be top two. I still don't know if that's ever happened in the history of the NFL that a team has traded a pick that ended up being the second or third pick in the draft. Not one that they traded directly into, but like years later turned it into the second or third. I don't know if that's ever happened. The amount of like the lottery odds of what have gone for the on for the Seahawks this year in terms of their draft class, their quarterback and the picks that they got back from the Broncos. And you throw a Nuoso in there as a free agent. There's a lot that's gone right for the Seahawks this year that just won't change no matter what happens in the next few games. But here's the thing. And this is kind of maybe closer to your point, Nathan. It's all on the line this offseason. All. And they've committed to this scheme change. And they put Clint Hurt in charge. They brought in Vic Fangio, Vic Fangio's entire crew except for Vic Fangio and Pete doesn't know that defense the way he knows his own and it's not going well. And if they then draft with this valuable draft capital personnel to fit that scheme and it doesn't go well, this franchise is fucked for years, years and years. So, it is so critical that this offseason that they pick not only great players, but great players that can succeed in this scheme and that they have an idea of what they're doing with this scheme. Or if they're going to cut bait, that they cut bait and go whole hog the other direction. But that has potential implications too. So, like, I think Jeff and I, like, we're excited. I think you are too, Nathan, about mm -hmm. the potential of this offseason. But we're on the edge of a cliff here. If, it, if that, if that offseason doesn't go well, the Seahawks are in purgatory for a while. And I don't know, you don't, you don't know what's going to get them out of it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Jalen Carter could make all the difference in the world. Right. So, uh, you know, it would probably be fair to give Pete another year, but it's, it, I just don't know how you get, if they can't fix this, I don't know how you go into next year with the same coaching staff. And that doesn't mean firing Pete, but that probably means firing Sean Desai uh, at the very least, right? Maybe Clint Hurt instead. Uh, and then you're talking again, you know, now you're talking about maybe switching up schemes again, different personnel. And it's just, it, it, it's 
yeah, it's very, uh, very dicey right now, I think. Uh, I think everyone went into this thinking, oh, it's a rebuild year and who cares, you know, and, and it's all gravy. And that's true to some degree. But this isn't, they're not just bad. They're, they're they're giving up 200 yards rushing a game. Like that's 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 too much. It's 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 too too bad. You can't be this bad. You know the Houston Texans aren't doing this. Um, so I, I think there's just some really interesting questions about what all this means about you know Pete and the staff and what they can really build. Yeah, and you look at the run defense last year. It's like it's the same personnel mostly on like in terms of like who they have there. And they were a top 10 run defense last year, I think by EPA and by some of the traditional stats. And we all talked about Ken Norm Jr. Like it's hard to say these guys have done a better job than Ken Norm Jr. And that's on P. They identified these guys. They promoted Clint Hurt. And some of the, like the deeper film guys, like the Griff and Matty Browns are just talking about, like we always talked about simple Ken Norton Jr. scheme set. Apparently this scheme is a lot simpler. And the scary part is, and Brian has mentioned this to me, is you look at the scheme and you see some of the guys that are having success, the Dan Quinns and the Salas and the other teams who are running similar schemes. I mentioned this, like Nathan pointed out, like the Vikings fans have turned on Ed Dontel, who's their defensive coordinator. They're running the same Fangio scheme. Their issues are in the secondary, mostly not in the front, but they, they brought in this Fangio scheme. They hired Ed Dontel. He was assistant with Fangio last year. And they've been defensively disaster. The Chargers, who have Brandon Staley, they had a great game plan last week, but they've been really struggling with their front, and they've been pretty bad defensively with Brandon Staley, a guy who mastered this scheme. And like, the, there's the Rams and the Chargers; they're doing pretty. I mean, the Broncos are doing well, but like, is this the right scheme? It's such a big question. That's a huge decision for Pete going forward because there are just giant holes in the run game that just weren't there with the same personnel last year. And if they do go back to Pete's, you know, what Pete's familiar with, what he's, what he's comfortable with, who, who does he go hire? Dan Quinn's yeah. not coming back. You know, you probably don't hire Chris Richard again. Uh, probably don't go hire Ken Norton Jr. again. Like, who who are Pete's guys, right? Like, Ed Donatel might get fired. So I guess he's potentially out there. And he's uh, he goes way back with Pete. But I don't even know how much he's a Pete guy. No, he's a Fangio guy. Yeah. So, like, who does Pete turn to to help get this fixed? Because he had his guy. He had Ken Norton, right? And and he was and, – and they were evolving the defense, but Ken knew Pete's defense. And now Pete's trying to change this up, and it's not working at all. And Pete does not seem to be able to work his magic. So, like, where, where does Pete go? Does he just keep it all together and hope it snaps together and gets better? Does he have to make a change? And if he does, what is the change that makes sense and that helps – yeah, I, I mean, I guess part of it comes down to diagnosing what the issue is and how much of its personnel and how much of its scheme. And I kind of go back and forth on this. Uh, by the way, I see Drew Downs in a chat talking about Marquand Manuel. That was the name that came mind to, to mind for me. I actually got a lot of respect for Marquand. But in any event, um, I don't believe this front seven with any defensive coordinator would be good. I think that they could be average with some defensive coordinator. So like I absolutely, it is crystal clear to me that when you look at that defensive line and Al Woods is your best guy and he's already in his mid thirties and Shelby Harris is maybe your second best guy and he's in his thirties. And he, like, these are rotational guys. These should not be starters for most teams. These are guys that, 
these are like the Colin Coles that would rotate in in previous or like the Tony McDaniels. Like that's the kind of player they're, they are not your they're not your difference makers. And so I don't see anyone like that on the defensive line. And I think that no matter what, that's going to be a problem. I think Cody Barton is a replacement level or below player. I know it. not everyone agrees. I think Jordan Brooks is a good, but not great linebacker so far. Like I think that you look across, I just don't see the talent at the same time. There's enough talent to not be giving up 200 yards rushing every game. So there's just no way that scheme isn't playing a meaningful role in this. And it was interesting this week. You look at Pete, you listen to Clint Hurt. They're circling the coaching wagons there. Like, hey, it's the same stuff every week. We can only say it so many. Like, they are pointing that finger directly at the players. Like, there have been times where Pete's like, hey, we, we could do more to help the players. He said that this year a couple of times. This week was not that. So I agree with you, Nathan. And I think Pete's got an awful track record in hiring assistant coaches especially on the defensive side of the ball i think too many people give him credit for dan quinn and gus bradley neither of which he actually hired those are jim mora hires so like he's never hired a good defensive coordinator in the nfl as far as i know so i think it's an issue i think it's a legitimate thing to bring up um i don't know what comes next um, but, but I, I, I do think that, like you said, Jalen Carter, if you hit on that or you hit on a great player, it can make a lot of coaches look smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, they are, they are equipped to go get a massive difference maker. And, uh, yeah, I think whatever they decide with the coaching staff, um, and how they want to address it, uh, everything gets a lot easier if Jalen Carter or Will Anderson is who they're supposed to be. I'm so stressed about these next two Denver games. Oh, I'm so stressed about it. Jeff, they look too good against the Chiefs. I'm just more worried. Like Arizona just looks like they're they're planning their trip to Cabo already. Kyler's out for the year, and their GM took a leave of absence today. Cliff Kingsbury is probably going to get fired. Like, and like the Rams actually showed some life. Like they could win that game, but this these next two games coming up could determine are they in that Jalen Carter range at all, or are they that one player back? So, which could be a trade back spot. It could be a really valuable trade back spot. But like, man, I've started to get excited about Jalen Carter. He seems like a kind of prospect this team would never get. So like. I'm so invested in these Denver games coming up. Uh, uh, Elena in the chat says, Pete only cares about corners, doesn't address the front D line like Shanahan did. I don't think that's fair to say. Uh, uh, I mean, they have, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a joke, but like LJ Collier was a first round pick. They have two, def- uh, two second round picks at edge. Uh, the highest played player on the team right now is a defensive tackle. Uh, Jordan Brooks, I, first round I, I, pick. I don't know. What's that? Jordan Brooks, first round pick. Yeah, yeah. Not, it, Brooks, not D-line, but front seven, yeah. Oh. So so I don't think it's fair to say that they haven't prioritized that or they don't care about it. Um, they just haven't been very good at finding those guys since, like, Cliff. Cliff and Michael Bennett. And frankly... Yeah, and frankly, this is what I talk about all the time. These defensive linemen, 
get picked in the top 10 and Seattle hasn't been there. You look at San Francisco, like you could talk about the depth they have and all this. They got Bosa, Armstead. They got Buckner a couple of years ago. They were all top 10 picks. You look at all these teams, like, yeah, you're sure you can find a Max Crosby every so often, but Miles Garrett, all these guys, they're going in the top of the draft. And Seattle's been like, they want to draft Brian Burns and Rashawn Gary that one year. They all went and they made a horrible pick. LJ Collier is barely an NFL player, but they just, this is why this draft to me is so important. They're finally in that position to get one of these guys that they frankly haven't been. A lot of these second round pass rushers, that's what they look like. Unfortunately, pass rushers like quarterbacks. Quarterbacks that go in the second round typically aren't good. Boye Mafe is a very raw player that Daryl Taylor was had a rod that needed to go into that was in his leg. Like there's a reason these guys go in the second round and why second round pass rushers typically don't hit. So I know they people say they've invested a lot. They just haven't been in the position to do so. And this is what you end up with. Yeah, I think a key thing that we'll talk more about as we get into the draft is we all felt like this year the Seahawks finally drafted players that were logical for the most part, even if we didn't agree with where they picked them or whatever, like drafting Charles Cross where they did. They didn't trade back and away from that. They didn't, you know, uh, um, they drafted two tackles. They could have not doubled there. They, they like went mostly to chalk, which is not the way the Seahawks have done it in the past. And they can't miss this next year. I, I, I think like they can't outthink themselves. They can't like get cute. They've got to sit there and take great players and they have to be right about it. And there's really no way around it. So um, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think this draft, one of the best things about it, not just the, all the draft capital, but I think it lines up with their needs really well. There are a shit ton of edge players in this draft. There's a decent amount of interior players in this draft of different sizes and shapes. Um, I think there's some decent interior offensive linemen in this draft. There's some decent receivers in this draft. Like there's some position depth at places where they need help. So just have to be they have to nail it they have to have a draft maybe not as good as this one but it has to be pretty darn close and jalen carter or whoever it is that they take at the top has to basically be the best player on the team so what i was gonna say is like i think they do have to i mean it's it's hard right like they're not gonna find another Tariq woolen but i think it does have to be as good as last year's class like you can't miss on carter or whoever it is at the top right uh uh, unless you find that player, like we just talked about, like, you know, they have, they have a top 10 offense and the offense is maybe slumped a little bit. And and we're talking about them losing out because of how bad the defense is. So like, if they can't coach their way out of this, they damn well better hit in the draft and get some talent because I, I, I don't know what the other like option is for them at this point. Yeah, I guess it depends on what you're thinking is on the line. I agree that first pick can't miss. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of folks in chat talking about how Mafe was a miss. Uh, wasn't a pick I, I certainly loved at the time. I don't know if I can, I haven't looked at the draft to see like where this obvious other choice was that they should have made, but they hit on Abe Lucas around later. 
So if they drafted Lucas in that second round, would everyone be saying it was a bad draft? So I, I, I'm not going to really quibble with this year's draft. It's as one of it's, it's as good of a draft from top to bottom as you're going to ever get um, in terms of value for for picks. Next year, if they miss out on whoever their top pick is, that's hard to recover from. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if you you, you got to nail that. And frankly, I think they have to nail at least three of their first four picks. Like, they're all going to be high enough. They're going to have two first rounders. They're going to have two high second rounders. Right now, the Seahawks have like the 16th pick, I want to say, in the first round. People are we're all talking about the top pick. 16th pick is higher than the Seahawks picked any other year other than like last year. Um, and it could go lower. It could get to 13, maybe, I think, around there, maybe 12. You end up with like the second and 12th pick in the draft. Like, <laughs> like you should come out of there with some blue chip guys. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to all that. Um, none of that's going to matter tomorrow night. And so let's let's talk a little bit about what our predictions are for that game. Uh, Nathan, what is going to happen tomorrow night? What is going to be the final score? Um, <clears throat> let's say I think I've, I think I've picked Seattle to win every week. So why stop now? Let's go um, 21-19 Seahawks. Love it. Love it. Got to cut against the uh, pessimistic Nathan Brand, which is like untrue. The guy picks the Seahawks every week to win. I, uh, I lead with my heart on the picks. If I was putting money down, I think it might it might look a little <laughs> different. But I got nothing on nothing riding on this. All right, Jeff, how about you? Um, Vegas thinks this is going to be a lot closer than I do, Brian. My spread would be very similar to yours. Um, I think the things that play in Seattle's favor is the short week. San Francisco doesn't really get to have traditional practices. They can't game plan in their usual way. And the quarterback hasn't thrown a ball this week. Still, I just, the way San Francisco plays defense, I just think it's very dangerous for what Seattle's good on an offense. And I think it's going to be a blowout. I'm saying 31, 13 San Francisco. So here's my prediction on top of a prediction. I have a feeling that the 49ers are going to look at that tape and they're going to say, well, normally we just have Purdy play because we want to win this game. It's a division game. And then I think they're going to be like, are we really going to put him in this game on a couple days rest when he's got this oblique strain, risk him like straining it further, spiking the ball after the 49ers 15th touchdown. Uh, and they're going to be like, no, let's hold them out. Let's hold them out. We can beat them without, without birdie. I think Josh Johnson will start. This is just a guess. And I think that'll lead to maybe a closer outcome. I see one of the untold stories about the Seahawks this year, Jeff, is they have turned the ball over in every single game this season. Every yeah. single game. And they've turned the ball over two times or more, I think, in like their last three or four. They're 26th in the NFL in giveaways. This team was like top five in the NFL in giveaways last year. So if they're going to turn the ball over again in this game, it could get real ugly. I think that there's there's almost no outcome where I see the Seahawks winning. So I'm going to pick the 49ers to win. Um, and I'm going to say, because Stan ends up being a little bit closer than expected, I'm going to say 
49ers. I hate saying that. God. Ugh, I want to like just punch myself for saying that. But that's what I'm going to pick. Um, all right, boys. Anything else you wanted to bring up before we wrap for the evening? Because we're going to be back tomorrow night doing post game. Do you guys remember when Kenneth Walker took a snap, handed off to DJ Dallas, and, and he threw an interception? I'm so glad you brought that up. DJ Dallas won't even play today. We don't have to worry about that. No risk. Tomorrow, I mean. We'll get to see Travis Homer throw an interception. And so, what do you think the chances are that they try it again? <laughs> that would be the best troll. <laughs> uh, that, the, the, that, that uh, was another thing I was talking to a buddy about. That, that feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? It's it's hard to remember that that even was like this season. I I know. Yeah. I mean that game, that game was wild. We didn't even talk about that game, but like the Seahawks didn't score on offense that game. <laughs> like now, granted, it was a different time. They had a different set of rules for Geno and and whatever. But this is the one of the top five offenses in the NFL. They scored zero points that game. And there were chances for them to score, like you brought up, and they did some just dumbass stuff. But the only points they got was a block field goal by Tariq that was returned by Michael Jackson for a touchdown. Um, the flip side of that is the, the 49ers also didn't score that much, and they had Jimmy Garoppolo for most of that game. Um, 49ers settled for a couple field goals early. It was 6 nothing for a while, and... It didn't, you know, it was 20 to seven. There was chances of the Seahawks getting back into that game. So it was like a blowout, but it wasn't really. Um, so I don't know. It, it <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. And and I, I really am glad that DJ Dallas will not be making that pass tomorrow night. That'll save some sanity for us. All right. Uh, thank you to Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 on Twitter. Uh, he's liked the show. If you haven't liked the show, what are you doing? Click the like button. He's also an avid subscriber of the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel. Click the bell to get notified. And then there's Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. Thank you to you for joining all the way up from up there in Canada. And Jeff is like one of our best Patreon members. Patreon.com/slash/hawklogger. Uh, get immediate access to the Slack channel. Jeff posts nudes of himself on a regular basis. We have a special channel just for that. Uh, it's one of our least popular channels, but it is there for you if that's interesting to you. Um, otherwise, just go to patreon.com slash hogblogger. Join right now. Uh, get access to Slack channel. Be ready because you're going to need some Seahawks shoulders to, to either cry on or laugh with. Uh, put your arm around tomorrow. So it's going to be memorable one way or another, folks. Uh, so go on there, find some friends, and talk Hawks. Uh, if you're going to the game, hopefully I'll see you. Uh, <laughs> maybe before <laughs> it all goes down. And if they win, let's have some fun at the end. We'll be back for the post-game show. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. And have a wonderful rest of your night. Uh, go Hawks.